Welcome to Three Right Turns, where we preach progressive politics from a conservative background. I'm your host, Aaron. I've got a great show for you. Before I get around to doing new business, though, I want to do two things. Number one, and it's been a while, but register to vote. We are wrapping up primary season, and we're just a few months away from the 2020 national election here in America. Hard to believe, but it's just around the corner. And you can be informed of politics. You can listen to podcasts, you can watch videos, you can share stuff on social media, you can go out and march in the streets. But at the end of the day, if you don't vote, all that can be for naught. Those things are all good, but it's not a replacement for voting, and voting's not a replacement for those other things too. But you got to go out and vote. And it's not just about the presidential race. I'm sure you're getting tired of hearing me say this, but it's so important and it's such a thing that most people don't realize. But it's so important to show up and be heard about the things going on at your state and local level. A lot of the fuckery that goes on in our country happens in those state and local races and the state and local governments and where there are very few underfunded news outlets, local news, newspapers, keeping their eye on it as they can. Uh, so it's really important for us, for we, the people, us citizens to keep an eye on things. And the way we do that is by voting. And unfortunately, when I look at how the primaries went around the country, there's a lot of common things happening, voting registrations being purged, people showing up and not being able to vote because they didn't have the right credential or they weren't keeping a, a, a abreast of the latest uh, piece of documentation they need to have. Uh, polling locations been closed. Many, many polling locations have been closed. Uh, there are long lines and delays. And this is all engineered and it's intentional to have people just give up and go home. And I don't want that to be you. I don't want it to be me or anyone that we know. So get on it right now. Vote411.org has all the info you need to check your registration and get registered. A lot of states already have early voting and mail-in voting and many more are considering these proposals. Please take advantage of these and support efforts to make voting easier in your state and local elections and be aware of how those processes work. I was always a guy who liked to show up and vote in person on election day. Get your sticker. See uh, how many people are showing up. But you know, this past primary got me really wise to that. I was unsure until the very last few days of our primary process whether I was going to be able to get my ballot in and mailed in on time because there was a lot of confusion in the process because of this pandemic stuff. And I have a feeling... That's going to loom large in our elections here in the fall. So check it out. Vote411.org. If you can vote early, if you can vote by mail, take advantage of that. Just make sure your voice is heard. And if you're all good, if you go on vote411.org and your registration status is good and your polling location is good, check in with your friends and family. Let them know that they need to check their status. Be aware of when and where they need to vote because that stuff is just in a lot of flux in a lot of states. It's going to continue to be that way till late in the year. Shouldn't be this way, but if you're not on your toes, you're going to get disenfranchised. And we can't afford to lose anyone's vote. So go to vote411.org and get it taken care of. Pause the podcast. Uh, that link is in the show notes. I'll be happy to wait. Second, I want to talk about last week's show, Turf Wars. That episode, and it was a surprise to me, generated more feedback and participation than anything that I've done here in Three Right Turns by like a factor of 10. And I was really pleased to note that the vast majority of it was very thoughtful and respectful. 
And we're definitely going to be revisiting the topic in the near future. Uh, I know Nat seemed up for another round of discussion. There was 90 plus comments on the subreddit thread for that episode. I got like 30 different emails, uh, responses. So if nothing else, there's going to be a hell of a mailbox episode where I catch up the questions and feedback and comments from all the listeners out there. Not just on this subject, although a lot of it was that, but on the others of the last few weeks, too. And I appreciate all the compliments in the way that the topic was handled. And I also appreciate the, the many well-thought critiques of how I might be able to do things a little better in the future. And I look forward to applying those. We're going to be talking about more intersectional topics like trans rights and feminism and future podcasts. And I've also reached out to some trans and non-binary representatives from those communities uh, to talk to because as much as I'm willing to advocate on their behalf, you just can't beat hearing from people with real experience and real perspectives on any matter at hand. So I'm looking forward to that. And I was actually sorely tempted to revisit that topic this week because there's a lot of interest and I'm really interested in that topic and I kind of want to get into it. Uh, But then I thought, you know, there's a lot of new information and perspectives for people about a topic that I know a lot of people haven't really given a lot of thought to. And in my experience, sometimes the best thing to do is to allow people to absorb and digest new information and challenging topics before you start up another round. So ultimately, uh, I thought it best to broach a new topic this week. So we have talked to liberals, neoliberals, progressives, and conservatives so far in three right turns. But I figured it was probably inevitable that we'd eventually run across a libertarian or two in our journey. And that's the political label our guest today, I think, most identifies with. Caleb's going to be joining me, and he's the producer of a podcast called A Shot of Truth, which is a platform for undocumented people to share their experiences, ideas, and concerns with each other and any interested listeners who want to learn more about the millions of undocumented people living in our country. Caleb's also one of the first people to reach out and take up my call for participants on the podcast. Just kind of gets you an idea of the backlog I'm dealing with here. Uh, But we're going to be talking about libertarianism, the non-aggression principle. If you can solve problems in society with more freedom rather than less, whether billionaires really do benefit society and ways to structurally reform the criminal justice system. Aside from the podcast he produces, you can also find his homepage at pseudo.science which, if you're into Linux or Unix, pretty sick pun. Well, hey, Caleb, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Hey, yeah, it's good to be here. I think uh, it was it's counted out like eight or nine months ago. Uh, yeah. We first got in contact, moving at the speed of podcast. Uh-huh. I know that life. I had I had a lot to say, and I, I feel like, because I originally, I originally conceived of this podcast as being kind of like... Um, uh, something that's progressive, not in the sense of politically, but like you need, you can't just like jump into episode 20 because, you know, yeah. there's going to be some points raised. And I know I wanted to touch on, you know, like, like race is a big thing, like, uh, you know, inequality in terms of like economics is a big thing for me. Um, sex and gender, which I've just really scratched the surface. I want to get like some of those things out and have those conversations mm-hmm. before I started, like, you know, cause like, man, I got so much feedback in those first three or four episodes. Um, and you were one of the ones that jumped out because, uh, uh, like so many I've talked to, you're like, uh, I, guess, I guess I was not as um, a rare breed as as one would imagine <laughs> as far as like having this really conservative upbringing. So let, maybe we can start there. Um, yeah. You, what, 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 uh, tell us a little bit about how you were raised, where you came from in the country as far as geographically, mm-hmm. politically, uh, demographically. Uh, t- tell us about yeah. yourself, Caleb. I grew up in Sitka, Alaska, which is this Another island. one? 
Another yeah, one. The, uh, did you hear yeah. that my conversation with Corey? Because he grew up in you know up in towards the Arctic Circle too, and I uh, I'm not sure if I caught that one. Oh, yet. that was the one with the other co-host of Moving Forward. But yeah, he grew up in the boonies of Alaska. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I yeah, did that. Oh, no, no, it's all good. But yeah, it was a town of like 8,500 people. Um, I had a paper out there and I'd like save all my money for when we'd go to like the lower 48, as we called it. And <laughs> sure. I'd go I'd, like every time I saw like a Toys R Us sign on the exit, I'd make <laughs> my parents pull over, yeah. go spend all my money. But uh, yeah, so it was a tiny town. Um, it's kind of, I would say it's a little more diverse than you grew up in uh, Indiana. Uh, yeah, in like Mooresville, 99.3% white. Yeah, uh, so there's like a pretty significant like Clinkett, which is like the native Alaskan uh, tribe that lives there, uh, population. And then there's a bunch of Filipinos um, that moved up there to like work. So yeah it's a little more diverse i'd say that's um, wild where our, like what what because uh, you never know it's like you know my, my family came from like uh, a mass immigration to southern indiana uh the a german immigrant uh you know out looking for like you know essentially a couple families move in they're like hey we got a place kind of carved out everybody come on over is that kind of similar like they just found a niche and then yeah i think i mean from what i've seen like a lot of them work in like fish processing and uh, like uh that industry because that's one of the major things uh there in alaska and then you know you you know somebody you'd be like hey like come out work with me so right yeah yeah i think i think that's how it kind of got going but that's cool that's cool it sounds very uh you this is an older show um and you you're how old are you caleb I am 34. 34. For okay. a couple so, more months. So yeah. you, you might not remember Northern Exposure, just like little stuff. Oh, I, I do remember that okay. because uh, anything that referenced Alaska and pop culture was like <laughs> gold. So yeah, through, yeah. Uh, it didn't happen very often. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's a pretty conservative town overall. Um, you know, Alaska already like kind of conservative. Um, I think if you get outside of really like parts of like Anchorage or Juneau, you know, the capital, like mm -hmm. you're going to be running into, you know, Alaska is full of those people that, you know, it's the final frontier. They left to get away from everybody. It's like Jesse Pinkman. crowded wherever it's, else they it's, were. It's Jesse so. Pinkman in Breaking Bad, you know, if you've, uh, yep. uh, it's just go out there and rediscover yourself. What was your personal, like your family, like growing up, uh, in your family, what were their personal like politics and like religious feelings and stuff? So, I always I got the feeling, you know, like my parents didn't always vote the same way. Um, I feel like my mom was probably a little more open to uh, leaning blue sometimes. Mm -hmm. But um, other than that, you know, like very, I mean, pretty like independent um, thinking. You know, kind of typical for Alaska out there. Um, and then, you know, especially big was the church because, like, I went to church school. You know. From oh, yeah? first grade to eighth grade, except for the year I homeschooled, which uh, my dad was a teacher pastor for a couple of years in Kodiak, Alaska. So now is this uh, not ca Catholic school? This is like some kind of Protestant. Yeah, this is Seventh Day Adventist. I don't know if oh. you've heard of them much. Okay, so like Jehovah's Witnesses, actually, if you go back far enough, um, they're all mm -hmm. kind of in, from that Adventist movement. Um, yeah, did, so, did yeah. like the Millerites? Yeah, come up with them. Yeah, yeah. Charles so, Taze like, Russell was a disciple. Was a big year he was for a disciple of Miller, and then he founded International Bible Students, which then became the Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they're basically um, what came out of like an apocalyptic, uh, like sect of Christianity, yeah. basically. Nineteenth yeah, um, century doomsday. Literally nineteenth century doomsday. Happen. Doomsday cult. 
Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Mm -hmm. I remember just like seeing a newspaper from them and being surprised that like the end of the world wasn't the only thing that it was talking about in a newspaper because the way they talk about it, it yeah. was a huge deal. Yeah, so. yeah, sure. How did, so let me ask you this to Advent because I know with the witnesses, you know, they uh, kept on reinventing and reinventing and their date eventually became 1914. The fall of 1914 is when the world was supposed to end. And then that was kind of the last time they made a big prediction and they reinvented that as like uh, more of like, well, what, what happened was Christ started ruling in heaven, but it's an invisible rule. You see, he's starting his thousand year reign off like, you know, on the sly. Um, and that's like, I, I don't even know how they're keeping that going a uh, hundred years later, but how did the Adventists like deal with all those disappointments over yeah. the, the new millennium not starting when they thought it would, did they, have they just like given up and been like, oh, well that was just kind of like, we were confused and now we got our heads screwed on straight or what? Well, they gave up on setting dates for, um, like when, like the Lord will return. Uh, -huh. uh so that's how, but they they still think that they were right about the date, just got the event wrong. Uh. So, like, yeah, the prophecy is, like, the 2300-day prophecy, I think, in uh, Daniel, oh, where it's, like, same. under 2300 days yeah. until the oh, sanctuary yeah. be cleansed, yeah. right? Yeah, So they decided that the cleansing of the sanctuary has to do with, like, what they call the investigative judgment and God doing oh. different stuff in heaven that sure, actually sure. has, you know, it's there's no actual, like thing you could discern on earth about anything being different but they're right about the date and that's what really like eventually started bugging me about mm -hmm. um you know because Adventists, like according to them they're like the remnant right? right so they're like the carrying like god's like true message and everybody else has a little bit wrong and they're yeah. kind of they're, looked they're, down at everybody else a bit yeah. uh you yeah. know they, they, they uh, do it all. They do it old school, first century Christian style. They haven't perverted themselves with any false beliefs or exactly. Yeah, yeah. it's just the same. It's the same. We're it's the exact same thing. It literally is. I feel like you know. Yeah. I, I met I a felt really lost... superior. Yeah, I felt really superior growing up. They, I was like, thank God, I know all the right things, and I was just born into the right church. But it is. That's it's actually a, it's a great feeling, right? Seeds. Yeah, yeah, but that's actually what planted those seeds later of mm -hmm. doubt. It's like, wait a minute, I just happened like of yeah. all the places or people I could have been when I uh -huh. was born, like uh -huh. I knew the right thing. So yeah, that that really made me start questioning things and thinking it's just a little too convenient. How old were you when you kind of sort of started having these doubts? And then, like, how long was the maturation process? Because I first had my doubts in high school, but I kept on suppressing, suppressing until, like, my mid to late 20s. What was your deal? Yeah, that, that's a, pretty much exactly where I was. I had moved out to um, Washington and was going back to school, taking uh, computer science courses. Oh, yeah. Uh, but Higher education's yeah, the was... devil, man. It'll, it'll, it'll <laughs> kneecap a Christian every time. Uh, I started thinking too logically. I don't know, but uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> I wish. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It just, you know, it just never, it just kept not making sense. And I'd always really struggled, like, you know, in church, like I, like I really tried because I felt like there was sure. something that I just wasn't getting, you know, yeah. and I'd like, so I'd like take notes on the sermon sometimes and like, be like, I'm going to like get something out of this. And I'd see people that felt really like touched and moved by stuff. And that just, I don't know. It never really happened for me. And Same. I just had to like, kind of admitted to myself that i was never i don't know just never really a believer eventually yeah and you know i i just was willing to i remember i remember talking to one of my friends um about astrology because she was really big into astrology and she'd be like well like you believe all this you know like religious stuff yeah that's not science and i didn't really have a good 
comeback for that you know that man it's so, so, so similar to me because i was like really into like uh james randy and uh you know the amazing randy and like this the skeptic movement and like mm-hmm. i was like so I, I could clown on astrologists to people that believed in crystals and like uh, using dowsing rods and stuff but then you know the central and I, that was one of the big like big moments of death i, I was reading uh the james randy's um uh, book flim flam and he has like mm-hmm. two pages buried in the middle where I was just like, yeah, fucking take it to him. T- take it to a Randy, get him, get him. And there's two pages in the middle where he details the warts of the Jehovah's Witness philosophy. And I was just like, no, ah, ah. you know, I was like <laughs> one of my intellectual like heroes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that was not, that, that, that didn't feel quite as good. It was wild. Yep. So are your parents still pretty devout? Yeah. Um, what was it like they, leaving or kind of like parting ways? Well, it was, so I was fortunate, I think, in that they were always very much like, um, like, this seems to be your choice. And like, you know, you need to be following your own heart. And if you're not doing wow. it for the right reasons, it's kind of meaningless. So, I mean, we're still really close. Um, like, I don't go to church with them, obviously. But, uh, you know, I actually will on occasion just to, because usually when I go visit, just to like yeah. hang out. Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes I like to bring friends and just show them what it's like at yeah. a church. Because I think it's an interesting experience that not everybody can see from the inside. So it wasn't, you didn't have, a, so your parents didn't really play. I mean, it sounds like they, I mean, that's, I got to give it up to your parents. I mean, that's like in, in, uh, encouraging intellectual honesty and not like going yeah. through emotions and like doing, I mean, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's a leg up over what I had to deal with. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I'm still really close to my parents now, Good. so that's, that's a credit to them for sure. Yeah. Uh, they didn't want me just, you know, blindly doing what they did, so... So when I left my religion, it was a beginning of a process of like, geez, I was wrong on this. What else could I possibly be wrong on? And it led me to a lot of different sociological and political conclusions. Uh, What did you I I guess, were you kind of nominally Republican conservative growing up Um, or did you not really give a lot of political thought? And how did that evolve with or in conjunction with your religious thought? Yeah, I would say like my natural, I haven't really thought about this state was probably Republican conservative Uh um, because, you know, that's just kind of the general vibes I got growing up. I remember, you know, like Clinton getting impeached was a huge deal and everybody wanted him, you know, thrown out and Mm -hmm. all this stuff. So and then, you know, people rooting for Bush in like 2000 and all that stuff. So that like i said that was kind of my default state um my first year of college was the uh gore bush mm-hmm. election so sure. that was pretty big then and but actually at the beginning of college um is when i kind of started drifting away from uh republicanism mm-hmm. um started actually thinking about politics because i don't know i feel like i hadn't given it too much thought by then mm-hmm. um and yeah, I basically was really drawn to the like, hey, you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. We can all get along just fine. I don't yeah. know. And I, you know, I just seemed like hypocritical to me seeing, you know, Republicans being like, well, we want to control your life this way, but leave us alone over here. And then, you know, seeing the other side basically saying the same, like, you know, leave us alone. Like, we want to, you know, marry who we want to marry, but then, like, we're going to control how you spend your money. I don't know. It seemed consistent, I guess. I, I thought the same. I mean, I, I, I still like, I, you know, I grew up uh, in the era of like Tipper Gore, 
trying to like legislate rap music and video games and like you know uh very much like what the fuck is up with the left of this country just wanting to you know nanny state everything and all this other kind of stuff and you know then you know i started looking at like the ways that like the right like you know on issues of like drugs and sexuality like that they're wanting to legislate that and it's like yeah it was uh it was pretty confusing time for me um you you mentioned um we we had a little bit like a pre-podcast mm-hmm. talk um you mentioned that like uh i don't know if it's fair to label you as a libertarian it, it's probably um, fair certainly i probably don't like ide- all the baggage that comes it's with an it, ideology i don't think it's unfair okay okay well so i uh just full disclosure i actually have a lot of sympathy for libertarian viewpoints um and in fact it's um like i like i, I um I am attracted to like, you know, uh, liberal democracy. I'm, I'm curious about socialism. I think that like the, like I wouldn't describe myself as a pure socialist because like there seems like a lot of wackadoo stuff and I can't defend like the extremes of that. But I think it's a, an important part of like my intellectual toolkit, right? Like, you know, um, found that, you know, like Marx critique of capitalism. Mm-hmm. If you've never read it or aren't familiar with it, like it's, it's going to be pretty tough, uh, hoeing to understand modern economics. And I feel like libertarians the same way. Like, um, one of my heroes, of course, big skeptic, oh, yeah. Penn Jillette, right? Uh, like I, I remember in my early 20s, I heard him talk about libertarianism, and he said that, like, you know, the core core thing for him in libertarianism is whenever there's a question about what to do, how to solve a problem, to first ask, can this problem be solved with more freedom? <laughs> um, and sometimes you can't. Sometimes, you, it's, you know, like, if people aren't murdered in the streets, like, yeah, more freedom probably not going to... to um, to, 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 to get the job done. But for example, we have a lot of problems with drugs in this country. Paradoxically, letting people do what they want with their own bodies, with the chemicals they want, would reduce a lot of those yep. problems. And the, the smaller, the, the small problems you have remain can be solved with like treatment and, yep. you know, uh, for addiction and, and, and medical care and all that kind of stuff. So like what, uh, let me, let me let, let you talk about libertarianism. Sell, sell well, it to everybody. I mean, I'm pretty sympathetic. Yeah, so. I mean, I think I like a lot of what you're saying about, you know, liking parts of like socialism. I would say as a libertarian, I do too. Um, I was reading this book called um, Alchemy. Um, super good book about just why some things don't quite make sense, um, but they still work. But you never do it if you were just trying to make mm. the right choice all the time. Anyway, he quoted a different book that really yeah. struck a chord with me. And, uh, this from skin in the game and it says at the federal level i'm a libertarian at the state level i'm a republican at the town level i'm a democrat in my family i'm a socialist and with my dog i'm a marxist for each according to his abilities to each according to his <laughs> needs so i really like that uh-huh, and you know uh-huh. like i like i say there's aspects of like socialism that are i think really attractive i think you know living in a small tight-knit group where you're all like contributing to a common goal is great where I think it breaks down is, you know, at those social circle sizes where you kind of start losing empathy. And that's when I think it's best to let the local people far away, say like from me in Washington and Florida, make their decisions for them. Um, yeah, I think I think we need to do a lot more leaving people to their own devices, I guess, than we do these days. And, mm-hmm. you know, our, our news is sure. global. You can hear stuff from all over, but... I don't think that necessarily means that you're have the knowledge or, you know, um, of like the situation on the ground kind of to prescribe um, like fixes, you know, for things that are happening other places. 
I think I, you know, probably might not surprise you, but I think you're right. Uh, a lot of that stuff. That's one of the reasons that I always try to talk about, like, um, you know, before we implement, um, you know, more things of a socialist persuasion, because it's, it's a fact of our evolutionary biology that we have a hard time conceiving of like more than a hundred or so mm-hmm. individuals. Like we're kind of hardwired to work in terms of like, what is our family? You know, th- this is me. This is my family. This is my right. tribe. And your tribe kind of t- tops out at a hundred people. So like, how can you, um, we're not wired to have empathy for those other people. We can do right. it, obviously. Um, and just because we're not biologically set up to do something, uh, we can do it. And like, you know, we, 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 we can stretch our empathy muscles. And I'm always thinking of like, in terms of, you know, I, I use the term social mm-hmm. technology, like what are ways we can bridge that empathy gap? Because the, the problem I have with the, on the other side of libertarianism is like the idea of like just letting people be is because people across the globe can, you know, like a Chernobyl reactor goes, right. blows up. That affects a continent's worth of people. It's like not cool to be like, well, let's let the, you know, Ukrainians do whatever the Ukrainians are going to do because, you know, they their their philosophy is they're going to be a little bit slipshod on their safety and, and, and running their dirty reactors. And, you know, that's just the way they're going to do things. And the same thing, you know, you have those problems with like pollution and then also you have the problem on the smaller scale of like what happens if the majority of a people just want to infringe on another people's rights like. But there again, like, I feel like <laughs> I've rediscovered in the last year or so the value of federalism. Like, I'm really super glad that Donald Trump wasn't allowed to set the pandemic response oh, yeah. for all 50 states and everything had to go. And, like, I'm super glad that my governor, you know, when we had a hot spot in Cleveland, was able to, like, take immediate actions as far as schools and sporting events and all that kind of stuff that I think mm-hmm. did a pretty good job, even though there was no, like, overarching fed. So it's like. It, it's they're 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 sticky yeah. wickets, man. They're they're hard hard things on yeah. both sides. I mean, of the I remember like speaking of you know like Trump's uh, leadership, we'll call it from uh, the federal level. Like I remember yeah. when he got elected. Um, uh-huh. You know, I made this post on Reddit where it was like like the Trump like meme face where he's like pointing, but it's like maybe now you'll be mm-hmm. interested in states' rights. But it's just like you yeah. know, I mean, and that's one of kind of the big issues I guess I have with giving too much power like especially concentrated too far away from you it's like you know it's all well and good i guess if it's your guy but like you got to think of your worst case scenario having that power you know and who do you trust with those abilities and stuff and even if you trust a guy like obama or maybe bush or reagan with stuff like that then you you know imagine the worst candidate possible and and give him those powers do you still agree and it's something that also like um, stuck with me from that conversation mm-hmm. with Bastiat because I'd said, I, and I do think that in the long term, we probably will, if we survive on this planet for another couple hundred years, we will have some kind of global government that, you know, like, like, well, but, but like he said something like, you got to always have a place to escape yeah. to. <laughs> Um, like when things go like, like if, if, if everything is just like monolith, monolithic thing and that thing goes cancerous and malignant or the majority just like runs away, like, where do you go if there's like, you know, the fucking moon Mars out of the solar system? Like what? And, and I, I, I've thought about that. Like, how do you, how do you have a global cooperation on things that need global co- co- cooperation? Like, you know, trade, uh, pollution, uh, maybe human rights standards, uh, things like that, with also having some kind of safety valve where people can yeah. get away. Like if the whole like the whole world won't turn to darkness at once, you know, you, you'll have pockets of resistance or ways to 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 mediate and break that. And I, I honestly, those are 
those are those are the the, the big questions yeah, I have to wrestle I mean, with. Yeah, I'm glad we're going a little more, I guess, kind of like philosophical on this one, because um, I feel like you you covered uh, a lot of like uh, probably the nuts and bolts before. So yeah, I kind of like I kind of like coming out mm-hmm. of this angle. I mean, originally, like that's what you know the states are supposed to be, right? It's like 50 different experiments, and you sure. kind of mentioned it on one of your previous podcasts. You know, like maybe you know like California could pass you know single payer or something in their state. You know, there's other ways to get that stuff done. I think that, you know, even though like personally in my strongly independent leanings, you know, um, would uh-huh. not uh, really enjoy living under that. But I would also, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot more of a case to make for it if it's like local people voting that on themselves, you know, um, especially when there's a lot of other places you could go if it's not working out or maybe, you know, figure out someone else is doing it right. So we talked about how you kind of like, I guess, still identify with libertarianism, but you also, um, you know, in, in our, some of our pre-discussions mentioned that like you've moved away from it a little bit, or maybe uh, you're not a pure libertarian. You're not, because yeah, like mean, a pure libertarian, like if uh, like a purist libertarian is like taxation's theft, uh, right. uh, like uh, the, the s- social security is slavery. Uh, yeah, like they're like right. uh, I, I can't remember. I can't think of like all like they're they're almost I, like dabble in minarchist minarchy anarchy uh, kind of I thing. Mean, yeah, I mean, I I definitely have a lot of kind of you know like ANCAP kind of like leanings, but I say that I would say that I'm not because so ANCAP like, is anar- uh, anarchist capitalism, anarcho capitalism. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. like like, and, la- I mean, like s- extreme laissez faire capitalism. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, basic, you know, um, you should have national which, parks. Uh, you shouldn't. Uh, be private land, exactly. right? Right. You you, the police forces. You should just have private security for uh, private security forces. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that. I mean, that's all so theoretical to me too. That it's like I think it's kind of an interesting idea. Um, obviously, like like I say, like if I was you know like dictator of the world or you know uh, some sort of thing where i could like put all those ideas into practice like uh, i wouldn't do that right. especially like overnight right because uh-huh. so much of that you know it it's kind of contingent on a lot of things and you couldn't like like i always think of in my high school um they turned the power off because i li- it was a boarding school mm-hmm. so they turned the power off every night at 10 30 mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and they're Every now and then, like maybe a couple times a month on a weekend, they'd leave the power on all night, right? And it was like a huge deal, and you felt like you had to like stay up all night and like <laughs> enjoy the power it, yeah. being uh-huh, on. Uh-huh. And since it wasn't like something that was just kind of there and always happening, you know, you couldn't. It got treated differently, and you did things that you wouldn't do if it, the power was always on. So I don't think you could like flip a switch and all of a sudden, you know. like enact anything like that so the way i kind of think of it more now is like and i know i've heard you talk about playing civilization in Uh other um in other podcasts but like some of the earlier ones you know you'd have like your different advisors and they would be like well for my point of view you should do this Uh like Uh that's kind of how i see myself these days is like you know i don't think kind of the like liberty point of view always gets thought about as maybe as much as it should yeah. and i i kind of have we tried more freedom instead of less freedom <laughs> yeah with this exactly and yeah. I, I try to like take that tact as like hey well obviously the vast majority of people aren't going to agree with me yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of a lonely road out here but uh 
yeah, I just try to see, you know, if I could maybe nudge things or make people think about that angle a little more is kind of, yeah. it's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, no, it's interesting because like the left has the same kind of like the shadowy reflection of and it's uh, of anarcho uh, capitalism. It's anarcho communism. And there's mm-hmm. like all the way if you go from the extremes of like, you know, uh, like s- strong defense of existing communist China and like existing communist regimes to people like kind of like uh, yourself, which is like, you know, this is all very theoretical. And the human race, like, I'm even that way of socialism. Like, I don't I don't think we are ready as a people. Uh, because of like the things we talked before to like implement these things wide scale. But like, I do think that's the arrow that I want to see things go in the future. So like, what are the baby steps towards that? Are you kind of like the same thing? Like what is the baby steps towards a more free society? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, pretty much exactly that. Um, There's even like this chapter in that libertarian manifesto near the end where he talks about, you know, like libertarian strategies or whatever. And basically the point is like, you know, like, it's it's got to be a baby steps thing, yeah. right? I so remember when anytime- when I was a young man in my early twenties, the libertarians like uh, had a passion project for taking over New Hampshire. Oh yeah, that the Free State project got. Uh, Did it, ignited. Is this still going on? Yeah, there's I, f- I forget I because it was I like it's essentially like, like at, all ago. libertarians should move like colonize because it, it was the uh, widely considered the most personal free state of the union back mm-hmm. then. So just continue to colonize and push it more and more in that direction. Um, yeah, it was like once 20,000 people promised to move, they were going to kick that off. Yeah. And then that since happened. And I forget, I don't think a full 20,000 people have moved there, but I think it's more than 10,000 now. Huh? Well, I haven't heard yeah. of New Hampshire being a utopia yet. So like <laughs> no, the project, the project <laughs> continues. Uh, uh, how do you, how do you feel about utopia and like having that as a goal? Uh, I, you know, I, it's a, it's a it's a great question because like you got to have a target to, you're aiming for. I mean, I mm-hmm. talked about that in the first podcast. Like, I do really feel like in the next hundred years we are going to be on a trajectory towards like Mad Max shit, or we're going to be on a trajectory towards like <laughs> you know Star Trek shit, or in the middle is probably like the Expanse, right? Where it's like right. You know, it's essentially the expanse is like the essentially the the continue the the current apathy continues on into the twenty third twenty fourth century, and you still got you know like uh, things are a little you know like like a little bit better, and maybe people aren't starving the streets, but like you still have massive unrest and overpopulation, mm-hmm. and you know. Uh, uh, and and we export like our class distinctions and stuff into the stars, and now you've got you know uh, you know people working the asteroid belt and company mines, and you know not having good air and water quality. So I I do feel like yeah, I guess I'm trying to steer uh, for my personal thing, my, you know uh, I'm trying to steer my personal boat towards Star Trek and away from Mad Max and right. try, yeah. trying to use uh, the Expanse's cautionary tale. But yeah, I, I think they're useful <laughs> for trying to figure out what 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 you how you want society to be structured sure yeah i i agree with that i think it like you know you can justify doing some pretty horrible things uh if your goal is unlimited good yeah so um what does i feel that like the mean? time where people try to jump that gap to utopia all at once is probably when things go the worst well that's but, yeah one of the big reasons i'm not a revolutionary person because like uh i've read a lot of history and most revolutions end poorly <laughs> they, oh yeah they have you listened in, to mike duncan's podcast uh the revolutions podcast I, no huh i haven't uh yeah he's the same guy that did the history of rome which yeah. is one of the top like history podcasts anyway yeah he has this whole series covering revolution starting with 
I don't know, some, I think maybe like England or something, but yeah, he covers, you know, like American revolution, French revolution. And like so many times it's like, it's, you know, it's, it's like American revolution is kind of a freak anomaly in yes, the sense that like really the people is. that kicked off, like the people that kicked off the revolution uh-huh. were the same people in power at the end of the revolution yeah, and uh-huh. like largely accomplished what they set out to. Cause yeah. like, you know, so many of those revolutions, it's like, well, this group took control and then they got all killed by this group. Right. And like the people that like come out the other side of a revolution right. are like so rarely have anything to do with what started it. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you there. It did help that <laughs> we had to make this better. We had a whole ocean from us and the oppressor and we had a whole continent in which to take over and use its resources <laughs> to, you know, it's like, cause that's the other thing. It's like a lot of times the revolution is strapped for cash and owes a whole bunch of money and, you know, can't do like, like they, yeah, they, 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 they do all the things, they, they spend all the money. And then when they come to like, you, you keep the promises to the people, it's there's there's nothing there. And also like, you know, just a lot, like you look at the, uh, you know, Bolshevik revolution, the communist revolution in China, the French revolution, like one of the first things they do is start rounding up all the doctors and the university professors and the mm-hmm. engineers and educated. And like these fucker people are dangerous. Get just round them up, put a bullet in their head. And then, all you got left is revolutionary zeal and you know you can't 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 uh, put that yeah. into a steam engine and make it run you know uh so yep. i want to talk about something that you um mentioned uh as kind of like a mm-hmm. north star principle for you the non-aggression principle and yeah. I, i've heard a yeah, lot perfect. like I, I follow a couple of libertarians on twitter and they're always talking about that and i, I kind of understand it but like i imagine a lot of people listening don't talk about the non-aggression principle and then i'm going to uh uh, I'm, I'm going to it's, it's, it's pick at it a little bit. Yeah, sure. Okay. So basically the way uh, like I understand it is like, don't initiate force on someone else. And that usually comes with pretty wide definitions of what like force or violence is. Sure. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like the main thing is do not initiate force. And that, you know, that says nothing for like defending yourself or anything like that. But basically you know, if you kind of live by that code, I think that like, especially if you kind of went over history and be like, Hey, if you would have lived by this, I feel like things would be a whole lot better now. So, uh, so like, give me, can you give me like a practical example of like, um, either a way that like violating the non-aggression principle has uh, led to hardships or where, uh, keeping to the non-aggression principle and then like something current too, it'd be nice to have something. that's not like, you know, in 1863, uh, in Cambodia, uh, you know, like, do you have right. any like kind of rough, rough and ready examples? Yeah, well, if I had to pick something right now that was in the news, I'd probably pick, you know, like police brutality or actions and them, you know, basically going uh, all out for and initiating violence when, you know, there's either nonviolent crimes happening or, you know, stuff like that. I think that's (laughs) caused a whole lot of issues and commotion uh, recently, and I think for good reason. Um, That's, I mean it's their job, I guess, in some way to like enforce laws. So maybe if you give them a pass and they wanted to come up with another, um, thing, I mean, I think it's a good example. One, That's a really good example. Yeah. Uh, because yeah, so, like, you know, I think more and more we're waking up to like, uh, do we have to shoot people that are running away when we have their car and state issued ID with their address on it? Like, this is pretty basic police work. Like, yes, it sucks that he got away and he took our phase our phaser. 
He took our. He took our. Uh, <laughs> yeah, shit. He took our phasers. We're Star Trek Utopians yeah. here. Uh, yeah. But like, you know what? We can. Uh, we, we. This. Uh, this is not an easy crime to solve. And also, what was the crime we're here to solve? Oh, the guy fell asleep in a drive-in or drive-through window. You know, like uh, mm-hmm. a, a problem that can be solved with a tow truck doesn't seem like it should end in a guy being killed. Let me ask, because like, um, are you of the libertarian persuasion that like taxation is theft or like uh, taxes are violence? Because I know a lot like, you know, of uh, that's like the official libertarian platform is that collecting taxes because it's not a voluntary right. measure. Like no one agrees. Like if you don't pay your taxes, guys with guns will eventually come and seize your property and might deprive you of your liberty. And, you know, if you play the cards wrong, your life. Um, right. Is that a violation of the non-aggression principle? Or are there sometimes like the prime directive in which, you know, the greater good requires it to be violated? Yeah, I I would like I can't think of a way where it's not the initiation of force, I guess, or the threat of initiation of force. I mean, it absolutely or, is. Yeah. If you don't pay your taxes, yeah. bad things will happen to you. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, I think it's probably in my like ranking of things that I would like tackle first, not up there. Yeah. But um, yeah, I would, I would say you could characterize me as somebody that thinks that that is um, violence. So. I guess my problem with like that is, um, especially for people that live, I mean, almost every place in America, but like especially places that live, uh, like if you live in a, a dense urban, suburban environment, um, if you were to mm-hmm. not pay your taxes, um, you would essentially be benefiting from an enormous amount of things that society is providing you and not paying your fair share of the bill. It's kind of like if like 12 people go out to eat dinner and you know you're supposed to tip the waiter because they're not paid a fair wage so you're supposed to kick something in to to make it okay for them to serve you and then one person just like i'm not gonna you know you can't compel me to tip it's uh it's it's not you know and then it's like well you're right but now like the other people have to chip in to carry your weight or everyone just thinks you're a giant asshole like I, i feel like it's almost like you know, if you drive on the roads and your kids go to public education, or even if they don't, if the children in your community go to public education, like you have to chip in to pay for that. And the people that don't are already being violent because they're tearing down the right. system that we've all agreed to to, to support. And, and the thing is, is like a lot of the, my conversations with libertarians come down to like, it sucks that we don't live in the 18th century anymore. Because, like, it used to be you could just go move and, like, there's still the Montanas of the world where, you know, I guess New Hampshire's where you can yeah. you can kind of do that and be left alone. But, like, you can't be a libertarian and live in New York City or, like, Seattle. Um, not a hardcore one, anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, it. you know, it's kind of like I said, like, if I was, like, king, I wouldn't just enact all this stuff all at once where... I think I think there's ways you could have roads, you know, and schools and things that didn't require taxes. But all of a sudden, like if I'm, you know, just this dickhead over here, that's what are they not paying taxes? I'm curious because like, like I haven't been versed in libertarian lore for like 20 years. But what is what is uh-huh. the going idea of like you how would you pay for roads and utilities and schools and hospitals and run elections and uh provide for you know i i guess libertarians do provide for like the the federal government what the the um the okay functions of a state to perform are contract enforcement and defense of the of of the nation like from external forces that's like the the two legitimate purposes of a state right um i mean yeah there's there's different but we need all those other things so how do we pay for them yeah yeah i mean 
the way, you know, like we pay now for, um, like for roads is, you know, there's taxes on your gas and other things that go to your highway taxes that pay for the roads. Right, um, right. I mean, toll roads is like a simple way where, you know, now your gas is cheaper, right? right? So you can probably afford like those little bit of toll roads. If you move into like a community, obviously they're going to want roads. Mm-hmm. Like, so you could probably all band together. Like, I mean, I don't necessarily have all the answers for these things. Because um, it says, like, it seems like but, you're really close to inventing like taxation <laughs> with extra steps. Like, because I, I think toll roads yeah. are, are, are terrible. I mean, um, I mean. You think they're terrible? Yeah, because they're like highly like I I've come to appreciate that like uh, maybe this is a good time because I don't think we've ever talked about this in the podcast. Like, do you have a good handle on like regressive versus progressive taxation systems? No, enlighten me. Okay, so like we all, whether you're Jeff Bezos, whether you're Caleb here, whether you're Aaron over here, our first dollar that we earn every month that goes to needs, right? Like, like you, your first dollar is going to go to your housing. It's going to go to your shelter. It's going to go to your to clothes on your back. It has to, right? Like, you're not going to go buy a lottery ticket right. with your first dollar. Uh, Hopefully, <laughs> probably your first hundred dollars. Probably your first thousand dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Then, like, let's say that, like, you know, now your first ten thousand dollars you're earning a month. Now you're starting to get into what you call discretionary spending, right? Like, you know, we're going to be saving for Christmas. We're going to be saving for uh, college education. We're going to be saving for a rainy day, et cetera, et cetera. First $100,000 you earn a month. Now you start talking about, like, you know, investment money, buying yachts, et cetera, et cetera. So, like, anytime a tax is, like, what and, – and this um, – you know, uh, this is another libertarian kind of like the flat tax idea. Everyone should just pay 10% of their tax and that what could be more fair than that? The reason that's not fair is because a poor person paying 10%, like if you're only earning a thousand dollars, that's taking potentially food, clothes, shelter out of their mouth where, you know, 10% of $10,000, you're taxing someone's fund money and toll roads where Jeff Bezos driving over a road to get to the Amazon headquarters. Um, and he pays a buck every way is not the same as a working class person going across that bridge every day to earn money for their family paying a dollar because that dollar is coming out of their mouth, not out of their investment portfolio out of that. So we say a tax is regressive if it doesn't take into account the fact that like the individual dollars you earn are worth less and less to you as far as the survival kind of like, you know, hand was it Hanlon's uh, hierarchy of needs and the oh, pro- Maslow, I Maslow think. Yeah. yeah. And they're progressive yeah. if they, you know, like, um, you know, uh, a lot of people don't understand progressive taxes. Like, for example, uh, how many times you've heard someone say, oh, man, I don't know if I want to take that raise because I'll get in a higher tax bracket. That's not how tax brackets work. Like, you know, your first 50, right. everyone's first, like, I think first $18,000, if you're married with a kid, is not taxed at all. And then, like, mm-hmm. your tax rate for your next, like, $6,000 is different. And then your tax rate at 100000 is different. So, like, if you got in a, a higher income bracket, like $100,000, it's not like, okay, like, I'm in a 33% income bracket. It's not like the $100,000 is taxed at 33%. The first hundred thousand right. dollars is taxed at the various rates, and then your dollar you earn after that hundred thousand has the thirty three percent. So that's where right. like things like toll roads, um, property taxes, uh, stuff like that seems like it's regressive because it's penalizing. You know, poor, poor people and working class people are paying more proportionately than 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 uh, you know wealthy or middle class people do. 
And that's like my big problem with like just flattening right. everything out. It's super simple. Like, man, you just like you'd have a postcard for your taxes. Like, how much did you make? Here's 10%. Right. Mail it in. But that 10% Which for a, we could probably already have a postcard for our taxes. Oh, if we didn't have all these. Yeah. You know, uh, turbo taxes of the world and stuff lobbying against it. But no, yeah, that's that's, that's, that's another that's another issue. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, I would say the main I guess the main argument would be not that necessarily everything you know would be proportionate um if if some sort of you know free market uh running everything happened yeah. but that the things you were buying would be cheaper um and they would be brought to you in you know probably the most efficient way the market could bring it to you so hopefully your money would go farther and you still come out ahead but again i mean that it's all still pretty theoretical there but i think i think that would be kind of the libertarian argument yeah that, and that's the other thing that what you're getting is like at the lowest price you could get it so. um because the other thing is like historically it's just like um it's really you're you're told you're hoeing a rough row if you're trying to defend historical examples of socialism and communism in the 20th century right because they're almost always like uh you know they, they might have some bright spots and like there are things you can say about the defense <laughs> of the soviet union you know like something about like you know lifting this uh, peasant population into some semblance of you know 20th century life in like the span of a generation it's impressive but it also came yeah. with a lot of purges a lot of deaths a lot of starvation uh, a lot of uh environmental damage a lot of uh violence against uh, people's civil rights um and i feel like we have tried societies that are more anarcho-capitalists and they were called things like the robber baron age and the gilded age and uh you know periods of american history where like things were more loosey-goosey and uh, you know like there will be blood uh, you know, there's like I feel like in the exact same way that I, as a person, is promoting socialism, has to answer for the sins of socialists in the 20th century. I feel like mm-hmm. libertarians don't acknowledge some of the sins of the 19th century that kind of led to a lot of the, you know, the well, I mean, a lot of the 20th century socialist revolution was was uh, a direct result of like the horrors of the early industrial age, and you know uh yeah all that all that stuff happening the, the will there, there will be blooding <laughs> yeah i mean i'm i certainly agree that lots of horrible horrible things have been done in the pursuit of money and you know it's one of those bible quotes right the love of money is the root of all evil yeah but which i don't leave the faith but i'll keep that along i think yeah uh, <laughs> you know, but, like uh, the, the bible's got some good this got some nuggets in it for sure yeah uh but yeah, I mean, I certainly wouldn't uh, defend anybody's, uh, you know, violating of the non-aggression principle in pursuit of their, in their needs. I think, yeah, I think there's a good case to be made for, you know, rampant, uh, you know, running over whoever they have to lay this railroad or like build this. I mean, yeah, some of those guys like Carnegie and those people, yeah. like, they were just like, Mad you know, maniac monsters. Yeah, like yeah, yeah like yeah, the the, the, but, the pyramids contain the bones of the workers. Kind of the deal. Uh, the other thing I think is where the non-aggression pact is. It's not wrong. It's just very hard to define as things like uh, and still something we're still facing in early twentieth century is like the idea that uh, like air pollution. You know, mm-hmm. um, is that like like if you if I had a business where I produced this toxic stuff and my solution was to dump it into my neighbor's backyard 
obviously yeah. doing violence to them and I'm degrading their property I'm degrading their and I'm, I'm getting an unfair advantage I've uh, my the this mm-hmm. market externality is not being accounting for right but I feel like for a hundred yeah. years we've pumped carbon dioxide and radioactive material into the atmosphere and sit, considered that like free and the same way that we used to think the ocean right. had infinite capacity for pollution it's just so yeah. big and it's just a solution to pollution is dilution right well, yeah, I read something that like we're basically subsidizing all our costs right now by uh, taking it out of the environment. And that's what so, so. It, that's so like I was just watching a Ben Shapiro video the other day and he's going on and on about like, you know, like uh, green initiatives, getting hundreds of billions of dollars of tax subsidies from the government. And it's unfair. Compa- and I'm like, dude, there's been hundreds of billions of dollars of that. How much is a seawall going to cost? along the yeah. entire Atlantic seaboard in about 50 years. Like it's going to be in the hundreds of billions, if not trillions. And like those things just haven't been captured. And sometimes you don't even know, you don't even know. It's like, you know, uh, right. my neighbor didn't know to complain because the pollution I'm po- pumping in their yard was like underground or invisible. And yet it's still like, you know, it's like I'm pumping radon into their house and it's killing them with cancer and they don't know until right. generations later. That's why it's like, yeah, that's yeah. that's like the pure anything that's super pure. I start reaching for my gun and put my hand in my wallet and back away slowly. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the libertarian response to that, there is in that book that I love so much. Uh-huh. It's so formative to me, the libertarian manifesto. There's a whole chapter, you know, on the environment. And basically, you know, his solution to that is just litigation. And, you know, all you you and all your neighbors should get together and sue the pants off somebody who's you know, polluting your air or polluting your, you know, land. Um, I feel like there's a lot of historical... actually impose those costs on them. There's still a little historical record of that that shows that, like, that's hard. Um, you know, like, look at Flint, Michigan. We've known that their water has got unsafe levels of lead for five years now, and it still hasn't been fixed. And there's tons of lawsuits. There's tons right. of legal action. I think of, like, so many different Superfund sites. Like, Wikipedia's got an article that just, like, lists hundreds of, like... You know, community and like I think about all the different movies you've seen, you know, starring, I don't know, fucking John Travolta and Julia Roberts about like all the, the times and like we hold these like that's one of the other um, kind of like the American dream itself. We a uh, hundred people run the gauntlet that is America and one makes that rich and we we make five documentaries about that person in three movies. Um, and uh-huh. the other 99, it's just like, oh, it sucks to be them. And I feel like a lot of times we do hold up the times where the system works. I, I again, it's like I don't know what the answer is because um, yeah. a large, that. powerful, okay. muscular state is got its own problems. Um, you yeah. know, in terms of you know regulatory capture and stuff like that. But I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you know, your Flint, Michigan example. I mean, that is the government there that's being sued. I guess. Uh huh. So right. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's tough stuff. You know, like you mentioned things that we don't even know um our issues yet like i don't really know how we would <laughs> like impose those external costs you know on somebody at all until we know about them well but. the other thing is like i feel like the other thing is and this is where i think uh you know we need a social technology um it'd be one thing if the answer whenever you had a large wealthy corporation that had been doing, you know, getting away with taking advantage of these unknown externalities was like, Oh fuck. Okay. Well let's get this big fine and let's restore it. But it's almost like, well, we didn't know. So how could we possibly be held responsible? I mean, that doesn't fly in any other aspect of the law. Like if I toss a brick over my fence and I hit you in the head and cause you a concussion, 
There's all kinds of negligent tort law that's designed to handle that. But like with large corporations like, oh, Jesus, we didn't know that, you know, well would catch on fire in the Gulf and like, you know, <laughs> and, and, and cause all this damage. And now let's pay two billion dollars and 80 percent of that's going to go to commercials telling people that we paid the two billion dollar fine and, you know, have pictures of us scrubbing seagulls with Dawn dish detergent. And, you know, <laughs> it doesn't actually. Yeah, it doesn't prevent. Because, because you know, there's other things is like, uh, you know, there's entire legal uh, uh, teams and companies that kind of like weigh those bean counter things. Like the price mm-hmm. of compliance of something is, is is if it's cheaper to violate it and then pay the fine, then you violate and pay the fine. And yeah, what's that? A uh, Fight Club calculation with the yeah, airplane exactly, <laughs> like that. exactly, yeah, but, yeah, uh, the the yeah, it, it, it's it's things like that to where it's like, man, I and and I think that they're the only solution to that is, um, you know, like, like empathy and I, and like tearing down, like, uh, this is something I had this conversation with Bastiat. It's like, I still don't understand why everyone is fine with limiting people's like personal power, political power, you know, um, uh, military power. But like you touch your pocketbooks, like Jesus Christ, how can you even think that person earned all that money? Blah, 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 blah. And maybe we can transition to like the other kind of philosophical topics now. Like uh, you want to talk about just views of the world. Uh, yeah. Um, and actually, I, after I'd written this, I listened to your podcast because I specifically mentioned uh, Hans Rosling. And uh, he was one of the people that really helped kind of take me from a pretty pessimistic worldview, especially, you know, coming out of Christianity where it's like, you know, I think I heard you mention too, we're like this fallen state, yeah. right? Where we haven't lived up to, yeah. you know, what we were supposed to We started to be good and, and now we're bad and we can't ever get back to good. Yeah. Versus yeah, like exactly. we started off so, as like animals <laughs> and now we're people. You know, it, and In Noah's time, they were living, you know, like 900 years sure. and now we're living, closer you to, know, a tenth of that time if we're lucky. Closer to, to so. perfection, brother. The further away we get yep. from the Adamic and, and the ideal, the, the worse things get. Shit, another 100 years, we'll be living yeah. 20 years if we're lucky. <laughs> I want to see those giant skeletons. But. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Those Nephilim. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it was kind of a combination of, um, I don't know if you've read The Better Angels of Our Nature by Steven Pinker. I haven't, but I saw um, you, you you cited this in one of the emails yeah. you sent to me. Yeah. yeah, so it was that in that book by Hans Rosling, where especially like The Better Angels of Our Nature kind of starts in, he starts off talking about like all the torture and stuff they used to, we used to do to each other sure. in like the Middle Ages and like you know, all the different like torture devices uh-huh. that were used to, you know, like put your thumb in a screw or, you know, break you on the wheel, like all that stuff. And just talk about how, like, you know, the whole book is about the decline of violence kind of in the world. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, he goes over so many different like aspects. It's not, it's not just physical violence, you know, it's, you know, like tolerance and, you know, pretty much any uh, like metric he can come up with. And he just has like so much information about like, Hey, look, like the trends are that things are getting better, you know, like um, we're killing each other a lot less. You're much less likely to die of like a violent ends than like at any time in the past, you know, and he just, he makes this, it's a pretty long book actually. Um, you know, and he talks about, you know, like all different kinds of rights, like women's rights and gay rights and even like animal rights and how all these things, you know, it's kind of in people to look at the world, the way things the way it is and then be like hey these are areas that 
you know, we should make better, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've heard that called in uh, from a different source, um, divine discontent, hmm. which is a term I really like, where it's kind of like human's ability. You could be as comfortable, you know, like that princess on the pea bed, uh-huh. uh, <laughs> in the bed with the pea. But uh-huh. like, you know, you're going to find that one thing that's not quite right. Maybe it's a pea under your four mattresses. But, sure. you know, and it, it kind of seems like annoying and bad and sometimes it bothers me but if i'm feeling more generous and take a step back um i think it's mankind's like tendency to do that that's kind of really driving progress you know and i like i certainly don't want to stand in the way of that which is you know why when i see people even you know like fighting for things that they want better even if i don't necessarily agree with it Mm um i I never really want to be on the side of like standing in their way because I think that, you know, that inclination is what's so good about humans and what's what's really driving our progress. Yeah. Um, And there's also um, like, I, that's the whole one of the the ideas I have with social technology is not just empathy, but like um, if you give people, uh, if, if people no longer have to worry about their immediate physical needs, like if they're not worried, like Jesus, if I, if I get caught napping, like my kids are going to die or I'm going to die and then my kids will starve and die. They start thinking of like mm-hmm. higher level of like, you know, looking beyond their family and like, okay, what are, what are some other, or you hear someone on, you know, uh, uh, a poor person, you know, uh, get, getting a, ask, a homeless person asking them for five bucks is different than like a homeless person asking like a millionaire for five bucks, right? Like you might be more inclined to give if you have more to give. Um, so social technology is not just like, you know, just general empathy, um, you know, like arts and, and education. It's also just like if you provide people, if, 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 if the world is more fair, then people are inclined to treat it more fair and i do feel like that that you've got this uh that the thing's ever getting better but like i don't know because because some people think that like the 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 arrow of progress always points forward and i think in the very long term it does but like you definitely you see things where uh you know one of the reasons like nazi germany turned out to be as fucked up as it was is because they had a lot of really tough problems in their society uh after world war one uh, and there was a lot of, of problems in, as far as like, you know, paying for things and, uh, you know, that runaway inflation, they had several different failed governments. And out of that chaos, like a person standing up and be like, you know what our problem is? It's these fucking people and it's someone else. Yeah, yeah. And if we can, if we can, if we can fix this problem, we can, if we can get rid of the untermensch that are fucking everything up, then, then uh, society will be fine. And I feel like. I felt like this for a couple of years, but I feel like uh, in the 21st century, we're flirting with repeating that because a lot of the institutions we built up in the early 20th and middle 20th in- uh, century that like solved problems that were pro- like, you know, shit, our elderly people are starving to death because once you can't no longer work in America, you're of no value to society. So society doesn't make sure you get paid. We need Social Security, um, you know. We, we we get far we we are so comfortable with this and then we start thinking about like oh god it's really expensive to maintain these programs that we put in place to solve these problems which are now largely solved uh people start ripping them up and uh i feel like if you make society zero sum enough and mean from a survivalist standpoint that those like me first tendencies it's like the opposite of social technology it's social de-evolution 
I'd say look at people be threatened with maybe running out of toilet paper. Yeah. <laughs> like or like doesn't take much. You know, it's like, oh, our our country's not great because we have this immigration problem. The country's not great because, man, we got this segment of society that no matter how much we try to help them just continues to fuck things up. Like I feel like they're like some of these like and I, I agree. Like it's that's um this, the stuff you talk about, like in that, the better angels of our nature and a factfulness book, that's like um, the antidote to doom scrolling is like, you know what? We do fuck up as yeah. a lot as a humans, but we also do try to make things better. And we're yeah. like us as Americans are very good at like acute empathy. Like if there's a natural disaster, holy shit, we whip out our credit cards. We whip out our the checkbooks. We go and volunteer mm-hmm. for, you know, like making things right. Or if there's like, uh, you know, I grew up when, you know, Ethiopia had the drought and there's all these starving kids on television and, uh, you know, kids are dying of dengue fever. Let's get the vaccines and stuff. But we're very bad at like chronic empathy. Where it's like, oh man, there's this tough right. societal problem. Empathy fatigue, or yeah, you know, yeah, it's like, you know, oh, it doesn't seem like you're making any, uh, making any headway. Yeah, so kind of get discouraged because eventually the drought's over, else. the food comes back, and like you know, whether you do good or bad or whatever, the problem resolves itself. But stuff that's like systemic, that is like you know, a thirty to fifty year project, the stuff that we that we really struggle with, and it it's a worse when. It's hard to get people to care about problems when they've got bigger problems in their own life uh, and they can't, you know, look Mm -hmm. above those to see others. And uh, so it's like it's one of those things where it's like I appreciate that. uh, And I think a lot of people go wrong with like, well, everything's just terrible. We should just wait for a revolution, blah, blah, blah. Uh, But I also like feel like it's kind of in danger of being complacent to be like, well, you know, the world's better than it was 100 years ago. And I think you hit the nail right on the head with. You know, it's kind of complacency is the issue if you go too far with looking at all like these positive trends, right? And seeing things are get better. But I think you can definitely drift over into like apathy and hopelessness or something if you if you don't say like, hey, like we can change things on the whole, we're doing a decent job, you know, which is, you know, kind of why I like to not discourage anybody from, you know, trying to fix things they think are wrong because I think it works on some like weird, mm-hmm. you know, wisdom of the crowd kind of level that mm-hmm. maybe I could never figure out on my own, yeah. but I definitely don't want to discourage people. But I think, you know, if you only are ever focused on what's going wrong, I mean, maybe you'll give up because <laughs> you yeah. don't feel like you're going to make any change. And then the, so. the, I see like, that's really some of the, my frustrations with some of my allies to the further left of me is they've given up on electoralism. It's like, Oh, it's just a scam. The Democrats are as bad as the conservatives or there's no difference mm-hmm. in the ideology and all that kind of stuff. It's like, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's like, I always dream of like, man, what if you could get like all of the country politically engaged? And I, I there's, it's, it's be interesting if a hundred percent of the population voted, would we still have like a kind of a almost 50, 50 split? Like everything's just going like, you know, just a couple electoral college votes this way or that way, or would there be a decisiveness to it? It seems like you get more younger voters, right? And older voters tend to vote more conservative. I would guess that it would swing things. Do you see more that? Because that, that's something that I grew up with. Like, you know, I remember my dad talking to me about this. It's like the old quote of like, if you're a young man and you're not a liberal, then you have no heart. But if you're an old man and you're not a conservative, you have no brain. Uh, right. I don't. 
I don't I, I and this might just be a sign of the times that we're so far to like one like we're in the middle of a pendulum swing where like you know the pendulum uh-huh. swung towards like uh, socialism and liberalism and leftism from like the Great Depression until its high water mark in the the mid to late seventies and then then the cultural kind of like tide went the other way and now we're at the other extreme of like uh, conserv you know kind kind of conservative dominion. Um, but I feel like le- that's less and less true. Like most of yeah. as as people get more responsibilities and kids and houses and stuff, it's like they get exposed to ever more problems. Uh, unless you're just extremely privileged in terms of like where you live and how much money you're making, the you know your first house buying experience is like did not make me any less of like oh Jesus this is fucked up. Uh, <laughs> having a kid did not make me think oh you know healthcare what's the big deal like it became even more like, urgent. Oh God, <laughs> what if they get sick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know that it's true anymore because I think less and less people you know like how, right now there's 30 million people unemployed. Uh, I don't think those people are going to be less radical in 10 years. Oh, no, look at the streets. Like, yeah. I went to the, yeah. the chop this weekend. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of radicalized people out. Yeah. Do you want to talk? Because there's a couple, there's two more topics I kind of want to talk about. One is yeah. uh, you wanted to, you want to try to justify the existence of billionaires to me. And I thought maybe we yeah. could talk about I, um, police reform I like to, from a libertarian perspective. Yeah, that sounds good to me. I mean, I, so, you know, you gave your uh, Walking Dead analogy, right? Where you're in you're in your little fenced off area with zombies all around, and there's right. the one dude with you know a billion cans of beans, and everybody right. else has a can of beans. Um, and maybe no beans. And, a couple of us had no beans. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you got no beans. Um, and I think if you made a small change to the beans in your scenario, all right. What's the what's the maybe, what's the non-aggression so, principle as applied to bean cans of beans? Yeah, so the idea is that maybe those cans of beans contain uh, beans that you could plant and grow more beans. Um, so the guy, the billionaire, could loan you a can of beans, right? You would plant those beans, and then you could pay him back over time. But now he's got more beans, and you have more beans. Um, would be, and I don't know, in my head, that's kind of like the role billionaires play, is like they have a lot of this money they're throwing around behind Teslas and Amazons and you know, whatever, like, random thing that needs funding. Um, yeah, just kind of, like, I'm definitely not going to uh, defend necessarily any actions, you know, that were not mutually agreed to that mm-hmm. led to a billionaire becoming a billionaire. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you, like, rolled over some little guy. Isn't it know, like... Something like that, I'm not going to defend, but I don't have a problem with, like, yeah. the concept, I guess. Because here's the thing, it's like, the more I read on issues, like, I don't know that you can find a single billionaire where they didn't roll over somebody. You know, like, Bill Gates right. for damn sure. Like, I grew up as a Linux advocate in the 90s. I know every... We were an Apple I'd, family. I know house. every... <laughs> I know where every fucking body is is buried in his backyard. Uh, uh-huh. And now he's like, you know, he's he's this guy trying to get into heaven, so he's giving away like whatever, half his wealth and stuff like that. Warren Buffett, I mean, he seems like he's a pretty nice guy, but I bet. It just seems like it's very hard to get that much concentration without doing something unfair, taking advantage of something in the system. And I, right. I, I'm not going to say that every billionaire is like that, but here's my counter-argument, I guess. I look at like Amazon... And how much, how big they're getting and how Amazon's not just Amazon. Amazon is a cloud computing company. Amazon is a logistics company. They're mostly that, I would say. Amazon, yeah. Amazon is, uh, you know, a, 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 a retailer. Uh, Amazon is a bank. 
uh, Amazon as a transaction gateway. Uh, Health insurance now, I think. Yeah, like <laughs> I, I, I keep thinking of like, um, you know, you, your your vision of like you had the one, you know, Rick Grimes, Alexandria has, uh, you know, one person's got a billion beans and they loan out beans and then you pay back bean interest so that like, mm-hmm. you know, people can grow bean <laughs> yeah, fields right. and whatnot. Um, wouldn't it be better instead of one person with a billion beans as you had a whole bunch of people with a thousand beans doing those lending because then you're spreading out that gains across more people um, than, you know, because like, 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 if, like, like what if Amazon couldn't be because it didn't have enough money because mm-hmm. of the taxation policy? We, they couldn't be their own logistics company. They couldn't be their own web computer. What if those were all companies that instead of colluding together, because that's what they are. Like this is like I, I, right. I'm 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 agog that we cannot do some kind of antitrust stuff on like things like Amazon. Um, wouldn't it be better if all those were separate companies that competed against each other for contracts and negotiations and stuff rather than a monolith that just self deals and moves money around? And the only reason they're able to be that big is because they can self fund it because we allow a system that allows a man in a single lifetime to amass. $150 billion of wealth, probably a trillion. I, I, there's no way if things keep going that Jeff, Jeff Bezos or someone in our lifetime will be the first trillionaire. And at what point does that just become an impediment to human progress? You know, like that trillion dollars in many, many people's hands could do a lot of good. If it's in one hands, then it can still do good. I'm not saying it's not like I'm glad Bill Gates is out there trying to solve malaria and, and treat AIDS in Africa and provide clean drinking water. But like, what if we had a thousand Bill Gates with a hundred million dollars rather than one? Um, or what if those were like, you know, money that we could as a people decide what initiatives we wanted to support with like tax dollars and stuff. Um, you know, what if we took that billionaires beans and we, we took, you know, uh, 90% of it still leaving with a hundred million bean cans and then divvy that up as, as in a democratic process, um, rather than leaving up to the billion bean can guy. Um, do you have any moral right. like first principle arguments against that? Cause that's like uh, what, what I, what I ran into the Bastiat, it's like, well, that's just violating property rights. Like you can't do that. Right. And I'm like, but why? Because... I- you can take a continent from a people uh, <laughs> and 200 years later, just like, it's cool. Right. You know, we're, no one's talking about like vacating this, going back to Europe and handing all this back over to the native Americans. Uh, yeah. What is the, what's the argument against that? I mean, I think the people uh, benefiting the most are probably, you know, from having say like Amazon and his integrated distribution and runs all his own cloud services mm-hmm. and has grocery store chain of network mm-hmm. i think probably just the end consumer is getting lower prices there would be the main though really the only argument i could make for who's really benefiting i guess if you're an employee there but how is it um, that like a centrally because like so like this seems like uh there's zero competition in from endpoint to endpoint there right um isn't that like an argument against like the core principles of free market capitalism that like a solution that's this big and monolithic and end to end with no negotiation any at any point is like somehow more consumer friendly than something that would be dozens of companies competing for like their best advantages and their best deal and passing that on to the consumer. Because like, I, it's like, it feels like that Amazon model starting to sound like well, shit, maybe we should do state capitalism, you know, yeah, the bigger is I mean, better. I mean, 
I worked, so I used to work before I got my current job as like um, developer at an e-commerce company. And so we were big into selling stuff on Amazon. They were, you know, like 65% of our business. And it's weird being in a scenario yeah. where like Walmart is the underdog because yeah. they kind of got into e-commerce late in the game. They are. Right? Uh-huh. But like, I mean, like Amazon is like driving, you know, the consumer experience and everything and like competition with them. I mean, it's still driving a lot of like innovation and, you know, now we have things like wish that came up, which if you like ordering something that's a 10th of the size as it looks in the picture, go with them. (laughs) But, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know that I could say that you, we wouldn't, or we'd be better or worse if it was broken up necessarily. I think there's probably instances that would benefit, um, Mm -hmm. things where we wouldn't. And I think, yeah, ultimately probably our prices would be a little higher, I guess, if they didn't have all that vertical integration and kind of efficiency um everybody i know that talks about you know like boycotting amazon like i mean it's kind of a non-starter argument right because Mm -hmm. everybody still shops on amazon Mm -hmm. no matter what they think about it because i mean they've got it down so and like i said i don't don't want to destroy amazon i just think like it should be broken up um because and so if you're saying um, well, I don't know if it would be for sure better or worse than like my Trump card is. Well, we've, you know, if, if you're unsure of better or worse, then you've got the system where, you know, you got the monolith of Amazon and maybe there's slightly consumer prices, but you also have one man that's got $150 billion in net worth and has got like this thing across all the states where he can curry and get tax benefits that no one else can get. You know, like look at all the intense competition between, uh, cities to get an amazon fulfillment center oh yeah it's like a fucking nfl sports team where it's like oh will you build oh you'll build us a billion dollar stadium if we happen to keep our guys here for maybe 15 years and then we'll do it again cool cool like isn't that's Mm -hmm. that's fucking weird to me um and i feel like it seems kind of predatory somehow yeah so you got that and like so it's like uh it's one of the things i had this this conversation with the bastiat is like the political power these people have like if if as long as we maintain that money is free speech and i actually think that's for what it is a pretty uh i i don't disagree with like the mechanics i don't like the result but like the way the supreme court argued that seems like fair ball um right why in the world would we allow in that system people to amass hundreds of billions of dollars soon to be trillions of dollars because they just do have more and like you know the the basket solution as well you can't as a person give more than x amount of dollars but you know with the the super packs and like all the different loopholes around that like that's I, I mean, I didn't want to laugh in his face, but I kind of want to laugh in his face. If I ever go back in the show, I'm going to start the debate there. It's like, <laughs> let's let's go back. Walk me through as a lawyer. What prevents Jeff Bezos from contributing to like all these different causes? And um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, my my only uh, I guess the way I would play this is just make sure that, you know, the hammer that is government is as small as it can be. So they have less to swing. Mm. You know, it's probably less attractive to put in you know, all this money into uh, supporting a politician if they can't really do that much. Mm. So, you know, I mean, yeah, I think that's probably the most libertarian point of view. And I definitely, I mean, I agree with you. Like, I don't want to live in, you know, some sort of corporate ruled world either. That's just as bad as government at the end of the day, if, you know, they're limiting you in all the same ways. Um, Because like, you know, that's the whole thing of America is we weren't going to have kings over here. 
But it does feel mm-hmm. like we do have ruling political dynasties, and we do have people that are far more powerful than any feudal lord of old, a fair, like, more powerful than a pharaoh. Um, oh, yeah. So, like, there's got, and I, I, I don't know that, like, taxing billionaires into extinction is the way. It's, a, it's, it's, it's something I, I kick around, but, like, I don't know. Um, it does seem like this is the, the, just hang, wringing your hands of, like, well, what can we do? You know, um, does seem like it's putting us on the path to at least the expanse. You know, where you've got like trillionaires that yeah. d- d- dominate the whole solar system instead of just a w- the world. Um, what do you see as like the main, um, you know, the main things that like the Bezos have done uh, to like negatively or, you know, to hurt our democracy or something? Um, it's it's tough because I don't I haven't actually looked up in like the uh, Bezos. Um, but if I look at yeah, like, I mean, if I look at things like uh, Roger Ailes and the Mercers and like the hundreds of millions of dollars that they put into right wing think tanks, right wing media institutions, mm-hmm. uh, the what it what it was that the. Um, uh, there's this a conservative think tank that is like written like 30 some percent of the new legislation and like all the different conservative states. It's just like rubber, like they just issues like there's a PDF printed out, take it to your right. state house, read it into the record and get and, and, and everybody's going to vote for it because we've paid everybody the max. Um, it's, it's, it's hard for me to say like what Jeff Bezos has done of more yeah. of like, I know what if Jeff Bezos wanted? I mean, Jeff Bezos um, owns the Washington Post. Um, right. And, and, and like, there's always going to be, like, you've always had, like, people that own media institutions are powerful, you know? Like, you know, it's like the, the old adage, like, don't go to war with someone to, that buys ink by the barrel, right? Um, but, like, I just feel like that stuff has really accelerated. And uh, there has been a lot of harm done to our society with the relaxing of, like, you know, some of these laws demanding like fairness and both sides being presented to in a particular broadcast and like educational standards for like children's inter- entertainment and stuff. I do feel like that has harmed our democracy. And I feel like if the Mercers can do it with a couple hundred or with a hundred million dollars, what can someone do with one billion dollars? Not even giving it to politicians, just like creating a one American news network or Trump TV, whatever's right. going to happen once he's out of office, which is absolutely going to happen. We've got no answer to that. And to the extent that we don't have those answers, my my answer is it should be devastatingly expensive to dabble in politics that way. Like it's a once in a life. Like if you you, you like you know um, you shouldn't be able to write a check for a hundred uh, you know hundred million dollars the way you and I can write a check for a thousand dollars. You know, it's like oh yeah, I, I really it should be it should it should hurt it should hurt anybody. And I feel like. You know, look at like Bloomberg's run. Like he essentially, um, he came very close. I mean, I don't know how how close he came, but like if if Bloomberg had a personality, uh, <laughs> he definitely got himself in the. He wedged himself, and then yeah, with with, with 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 a, a amount of money that was pocket lent to him, he wedged himself into the conversation. Got on the debate platform, got a you know sizable percentage of some of this primary vote, and like what happens? You know, it's like the thing is, like, I don't, I'm not necessarily afraid of Trump. What happens to a smarter version of Trump? What happens to a smarter oh, version? Yeah, that's what Bloomberg. really worries me, to be honest. And and so again, you know, it's like it's like it's like I feel like in another universe where like our our, our personal military power was sacrosanct. I might be having this conversation about like, yeah, we've got five or six warlords across North America, but what can you say? Like, what is the, what is the, uh, the Pacific Northwestern warlord really done? You know, he gives the, yeah. the, the he gives away turkeys at Thanksgiving. It's like, but we've got a warlord. Like we've got economic warlords <laughs> and we're just like, well, what have they really done? Like the existence of them is a affront to 
the American ideal of not having kings or gods. But I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. Uh, yeah. Do you, you, uh, you, def- do you definitely don't think that. I think you're one of the more balanced people and you're actually a lot of fun to talk to. Oh, so thank you. I'm I appreciate enjoying this. that. Yeah. Let's talk about because um, I I don't know what to do about police. Um, I Let's talk about the, the, the police reform we've seen. There's this this. Uh, the I forget the the eight the eight things that people that they need to happen and that would like reduce seventy eight percent of police brutality or whatever and then I dig digging into those things it's like man there's a lot of police precincts and and institutions across the country that have already in, like you know the LAPD has got five of those eight things already implemented. Um, mm-hmm. And the problem yeah, is, I've seen that too. yeah, and like, you know, like I've seen uh, people choke to death in uh, police institutions that already have outlawed chokeholds. So, like, the part of the problem is uh, police not following rules we set up. So, like, mm-hmm. um, and also I've read a lot of studies that suggest that over policing is one of the big banes of these um you know, poor segments of our community. Like, you know, you have a crime problem, so you flood the streets with police. And since the police mission is like, Hey, uh, it's not just like rapes and gun. It's like, Hey, do you have a joint in your pocket? Um, right. Those people get disproportionate. Now there's even, there's the appearance of more crime, even if there isn't. So like the defund the police does have some currency with me, but like, I'm also not, an idiot i think there's I mean, like like you, you're gonna want somebody around right that you can go to if <laughs> somebody's holding you up at gunpoint still yeah like, you still want that option yeah and like even the defund so, so the defund the police they like this is one of the you know like, we don't really mean defund the police that's just a slogan um and i'm like okay and cut, uh, cut the budget of the police cut the budget of the police and give it to like social well. workers and some of this other stuff and like the problem with that is like if you talk to many poor people social workers can be rat bastards too you know, um, they can power trip. They've got people's like lives in their hands. Like you're going to get approved this program or not because of what I say. And, you know, I'm going to do. So it's like, I don't know that that's the entire solution, but I do feel like that there is a lot of this, like, uh, we could save a lot of money by ending the war on drugs, rolling back the war on terror and taking those hundreds of billions of dollars that they're going into those programs uh, which is also that's the one of the reasons that we have the militarized police because we got this black market that's very lucrative and people defend it with guns. It's the, the vast majority of gun deaths in this country is like you know gang and drug related or suicides. Um, so there you'd even take care of like everyone agitating gets a second amendment. Um, I, it does feel like paradoxically defunding the police is not a bad idea, not totally, but like right take that money out and we'll have less police and you, you refocus them for their missions to be on, you know, rapes, murders, um, burglaries, violent crime away from drug shit away from, you know, like there's so many administrative, like you, 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 you uh, I, I can't remember like three years ago, I watched a John Oliver about like how much our prison system and our justice system is consumed with like a poor person gets a parking ticket and then they don't pay it. And then they oh, get, yeah, a war- get on this death spiral. Yeah. Basically. Then they're a war for your rest. And they, it's almost like we're reinventing the old debtors prisons that you had in England. Yeah, where it's like, oh, for sure. Uh, you went you, you, you stiff somebody a thousand pounds. Well, you're going to go to prison. And how can you get out as soon as you, you know, you come up with a thousand pounds? How are you supposed to come up with a thousand pounds in prison? Uh, don't you have a wealthy gentleman friend that will, you know, realize that you're down on your luck and bail? No, like it's. Um, so I don't know. Was it, what's the libertarian thoughts on? I mean, yeah. So criminal justice libertarians, reform? for the most part, from what I've seen, based on 
you know, few subreddits and stuff I follow is there, I mean, they've been kind of on board with, you know, demilitarizing the police and reducing the list of things that are crimes, you know, um, like I think you need a victim to have a crime and if there's two consenting adults doing something or nobody's, you know, nobody's being taken advantage of, mm-hmm. then there's no crime and no, like, I don't, I don't think we need the state to come in there and say like, well, you're doing bad for yourself. So like, you got to come with us. Um, I think that could be some stuff that would help. I don't know how you really stop those individual bad actors. I know, have, you know, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, right? Oh yeah. I'm a big fan. He's, he's um, a revisionist podcast. Yeah. Come, come back this week yeah. or next. Uh, yeah, I think it's soon. Um, but he wrote this, I, well, it was at the, the book is called what the dog saw. And it's more of like a collection of, um, other like articles and essays and yeah, stuff yeah, you've yeah. written for other publications. Uh-huh. But yeah, he talks about in that, and this isn't, you know, super current, but obviously police have been an issue for a while. And he talks about these types of problems. It's like the hockey stick problem. So if you look like a graph of like the problem people, right, you'll have this like maybe like slow thing where there's like people are a little bit worse. And at the very end, it curves up yeah, sharply, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. like those are like your bad, your really bad actors that are mm-hmm. really you know, messing up the whole thing. He also used that same graph to talk about homelessness and how, you know, the most people that are homeless are under one set of circumstances. And there's like this chronically homeless, you know, out there every night, which is a much smaller segment, you know, that fall under these other circumstances. Mm -hmm. And kind of his whole point in using that analogy is like, you don't want to necessarily apply like one set of rules to this whole part of like this hockey stick graph, right? This whole population, because really like you need to have like the rules that are going to bring like these problem people into line over here are not the same things that are really going to help or apply necessarily to the rest of like the population. And I don't, I don't know what those rules could be, but I think, I think we're going to need some sort of pretty like nuanced look yeah, like, how are these bad actors, you know, um, getting away with things? And how can we bring them into line without making the rest of the job so miserable? I mean, I've heard, I don't know if this is true, but that hirings have not kept pace with people retiring in the police force already. Hmm. And so I don't know, you know, are we going to be able to attract <laughs> some more good people into that job? I mean, I think that stuff is I think it's also true. It's like, you know, Joe, uh, Joe Biden said la- a couple weeks ago, it's like, you know, we got to come to grips with like the fact that there's like 10 or 15 percent of Americans are just bad people and like people lost their minds. But I'm like, yeah, that actually is probably about right. Yeah, those um, numbers don't sound too far off. And I think that like I, I don't know how small we can get that number because I think a lot of people in that group probably just never had a chance, you know, like uh, mm-hmm. they didn't have uh, great social opportunities. They weren't born into great parents. They probably didn't have a lot of wealth and resources, et cetera, et cetera. And like, um, I also wonder, um, cause that's something I've been interested in, in the, the homeless stuff for a long time, you know, with, uh, um, when I moved into the city and I started interacting with homeless people on a, a daily basis, it's like, Jesus, this is another thing where it's like, I thought it was the one way it's the other. And I started looking about like, yeah, you've got, you know, the vast majority of homeless people can be solved by just putting them back in the homes. And in a couple of months, uh, in a very short period of time, they get their stuff back they get their life back together and they get reemployed and they're right. able to, you know, uh, start taking care of themselves. If you don't provide them and they, they're out in the streets, um, like everything degrades, their health degrades, their personal appearance degrade, their ability to, to uh, go on job, uh, 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 to get a job degrades. And then they become part of like the hockey stick problem. Right. 
Right. Yeah. Then you turn to like heroin or meth or something to make your life on the street. Yeah. Because like, Jesus Christ, lose your mind eventually. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I just think like, you know, if you're out in the streets with no place to be, it's like it's a very, very scary just sleeping. Just like the fact of being unconscious Mm -hmm. in a public area is terrifying. Right. Um, And I think about like, what are the ways that we can. But but the other thing on that is like, if you have two sets, like, how do you have two sets of laws? Because we already see that. And like, you know, this is one of the racial divides. Which is really, uh, it's it's not it's it's a racial divide. It's also an economic divide. Um, you know, if you have one sixteen year old that uh, breaks a window and they get uh, thrown into you know the criminal the ju- juvenile justice system and they live one life, and you have another sixteen year old that breaks a window and their family has enough got enough money to have a lawyer, and the lawyer can get up there. It's like, oh, this kid's from a good family, and you and the judge lets him write an essay and gets out of it. Like, I yeah. feel like with the hockey stick problem, you might have that. Like, how do you define the people in the hockey stick? How do you define those ten to fifteen percent of bad actors? Um, the other thing I feel like in American society is we feel like we can just eliminate that. Like we don't feel like there always be there will always be people to take advantage of the system. There will always be people to fuck shit up. Um, but that's not a that doesn't mean that everyone will, if given a chance, take advantage right. of the system and fuck shit up. It's more of like if we can just trust that those are very small numbers of people and we can make that number bigger or smaller based on how we treat everyone else. Um, right. Like that's kind of like my philosophy is like. Yeah, it's it sucks that there's ten or fifteen percent that are shit, shitty people, but like that means we way outnumber the assholes. And like I always think like driving down a U.S. highway is living proof of that. Like if everyone is homicidal maniacs, it'd be blood in the streets. You know, uh, yeah. We have all these death machines. We can just crash into each other all day, but it goes pretty smooth. You know, other than the occasional mm-hmm. drunk driver, texting driver road rage thing it's it's i don't know like the the existence is the, the existence of cities of 20 million people implies that the vast majority of people are good yeah totally and you know it's it's one of those things where you know like there but for the grace of god go i right yeah. you know if you knew the truth about you know anything you hear like on the news where something you know some crime or something they say like you know, the majority of the time it would make you sad, not angry, you know, mm-hmm. if you knew the full truth for that. Um, I think there's a lot to that. Yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of my personal philosophy too, where I, I really, I feel like a responsibility or like a burden to, to me, I'm trying to help like the people I have direct contact with. Cause mm-hmm. I feel like I know the best about their lives and right. like how best I can be there for them. Um, which dovetails nicely in with the rest of my kind of political philosophy, sure. but I mean, I would, I think I would be kind of a giant hypocrite if I wasn't, you know, trying to help out in any way I can, like those people directly around me. Yeah. So. And that's kind of, that's very David Simon, kind of the wire. Like that's his, like, as long as institutions are failing, all we have is each other. So like, look after yourself, mm-hmm. look after your family, look after your neighbors, look after your neighbor. Like and it's, um, you know, I, that's the other thing. It's like, I, I, I hope people get from like the three right turns thing is like, you know, all politics is local as like important as it is, is for things like in, in the presidency and the Supreme court and, uh, and the Senate and the, the house. Um, it's so has so much bigger impact on your life, like your school board, uh, your city yeah. council, uh, your mayors, uh, cause that's what, you know, um, it's not the president that's setting, you know, like, like, um, people are like, well, we, we need the federal government to do something about police brutality. Well, 
the federal government can't do anything about the majority of it because it's not a power. They don't have the power right. to say what a state does as far as their police, the policing department. That's core tenant of federalism, right? The 10th Amendment. Mm-hmm. So, like, for better or worse, we cannot ignore things at the state and local neighborhood level. And and I think that, like, um, if you spend the majority of your advocacy at the federal level, and that's why there's some things that, like, we need to do that on uh, big civil rights issues and things right. like a basic equality of people. But, like, um, you know, what's going on in your local neighborhood as far as teachers, police, uh, so, social policies? That's you know, that, that's this, that's the elections that nobody shows up for except for the old people. <laughs> right and we're seeing how they're voting so uh they love socialism when it when when it when it benefits themselves but like everybody else get fucked <sighs> yep yep well anything else you want to uh, anything else you want to get out or do you want to leave, oh, leave it there i feel like we've mostly covered everything um everything that I was thinking we did. Uh, this went by quickly though. And it's fun. Yeah. I appreciate uh, you coming on. I, I've wanted to have, uh, someone of a libertarian persuasion. Like I'm, uh, as long as your ideology isn't the, the, the world's of shit because of the Jews, uh, mm-hmm. or because, you know, certain minority segments of a population just can't get it together. Like almost every political ideology has a useful tool that can be in a toolkit. Like libertarians yeah. can before. Yeah. Can, like can a problem, like your civilization advisors. Yeah. <laughs> can, can a problem be solved with more freedom or less freedom? Um, I think that's that's I would encourage everyone to ask that for every single policy issue. It's like, could we just solve this? And that's I think that's the defund the police. Like, Mm-hmm. You know, like Bo from the fifth column, I, I really watch his YouTube videos. He's kind of like um, a more Southern fried version of me. But he talked about the cops, uh, you know, defunding the cops and like, you know, what if the what if the police went on strike? And it's like, you know, it's like imagine the horror of well-armed groups of men that are unaccountable to any institution roaming our streets, <laughs> beating up random citizens. And like, imagine if we had that happening right now. Oh, my God. What? How would we ever survive? Like. Um, you know, maybe, maybe we do over police things and we've been doing that for generations now and we should, is, is it time yet? Mm-hmm. Like, God damn, we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of the wire and you know, how, how are we still doing this stuff? How are we still, we're fit. We're coming up the 20th anniversary of the, uh, wars in the middle East. Like when things aren't working, why can't we just stop doing it? Um, and uh, yeah, you know, more. Well, hopefully, these are hopefully what we're going through now is growing pains of actually making some progress. And it does that's feel, feel that's, so that's, bad right there's now. been like, and that's the one of the things like, gosh, I really want to get to is like, it does seem like every 15 to 30 years, there is a big civil rights struggle, just with like, um, you know, in terms of just like black people. You know, if you, if you chart if you chart the course of like the Civil War, the failed Reconstruction, Jim Crow, segregation, civil rights, uh, war on drugs, police brutality, it is this generational thing, and it's like every time we get a little bit better, like the the aligning of like what we think is should happen and what the law says is gets closer and closer, but like. After every one, it seems like the majority of the society is like, whew, we solved the problem. Let's go on now. And I hope this time, because I feel like we're going through one of those inflection points right now. Yeah, for sure. I hope that we are are looking for the okie doke on the other side. Because they, the, they, there is the, the, this, this, there is this trend to try to keep reinventing, like, you know, 
these systems of oppression, like you make it a little bit better and they're like, where, what are the loopholes and cracks that, that you can still get the stuff to seep through. And I, I hope we're smart enough that the next time, like 20 years from now, when there's a complaint from a minority, we're not like, ah, oh, fuck, what is, what's this bullshit now? It's like, can we just like listen and take it seriously? And you know, maybe not yeah. go through an extra 20 years of strife over it. Yeah. I think we'll be constant maintenance on, on any of those systems. Cause they'll just kind of break down over time. Yeah. But well, hey, thanks for coming on, uh, uh, Caleb. Uh, would you yeah. like to to plug your your uh, your business, your 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 stuff? Yeah. So, I mean, I I got way into podcasts like ten years ago, and was always trying to think Same. of a way I could also <laughs> also be on the end of it, but I never felt like I had much to say. Um, so, an hour fifty I, minutes later, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I I partnered with uh, one of my best friends. Um, here in Washington who is undocumented and she does a podcast all about um, the undocumented experience. It's called a shot of truth podcast. You can find it uh, anywhere as the day we're recording. uh, We just had an episode come out because today's the day the Supreme court ruled on um, DACA and the justice department case against that. And Uh they decided uh, they decided against uh, the department of justice or so DACA will continue. So that's good news there. But yeah, it's a pretty, uh, it's, if you're interested in kind of the undocumented experience or, um, you know, pretty much everybody and every voice you're going to hear there is undocumented mm-hmm. instead of kind of some talking heads on the news, talking about a caravan or something every now and then right. here or there. So right. yeah, um, you'll get a, definitely an inside look on that whole experience. So that's very would cool. recommend it. Yeah. Check that out. Thanks very much to Caleb for coming on Three Right Turns. I appreciate him sharing his perspectives with us. If you want to check out his podcast on the lives of undocumented people living in the U.S. and elsewhere, as recounted by those people themselves, please check out A Shot of Truth podcast. You can also check out Caleb at his webpage, pseudo.science. I'll have those links in the show notes for your convenience. That wraps up things for this week at Three Right Turns. If you have feedback, please send it in to threerightturns at baldmove.com. You can also... Join our growing community at the Swizzbold subreddit. It's at reddit.com slash r slash Swizzbold. And you can follow along with us on social media at Swizzbold at pretty much all the social medias. We'll be back next week with another great show. Uh, By the way, Cecily and I have another fresh One Weird Trick episode already waiting for you at Swizzbold.com this week. The latest episode just dropped a couple days ago on Monday. All this made possible by direct listener support at patreon.com slash Swizzbold. Patronage confers several benefits. In addition to enabling the production of yet more Swizzbold, you can also get access to bonus episodes in the form of our monthly Patreon live stream, which July's just around the corner. It's not too late to sign up and and participate if you're eligible. And on that note, I'd like to shout out our Fred-level patrons. Thank you to Greg Rasp, James Taylor, Laura Luthi, Mark Hahn, Angelo Marano, George Pieperdell, Arvind Rao, Jordan Hoyt, Kira Grusho, Brian Rasmussen and Jared Harrelman. We appreciate your stalwart support of us here at Swizzbold. Until next time, it's never a bad idea to ask if we can solve problems with more freedom and register to vote. Vote411.org has you covered. Have a great week.